I could tell that I was beginning to get old about 10 years ago when some of the offspring, the little rugrats that run around, started calling me old. In fact, one of them, not a, while, a little while back, said, uh, Pa Ken, you're old, aren't you? I said, yes, darling, I'm old. I mean, really, really old. I said, yes, I'm really, really old. You were on the ark, weren't you? I said, no, darling, I wasn't on the ark. She said, why didn't you drown? (laughs) However, Patsy has encouraged me. She says, honey, in Numbers 22, God revealed his well through a donkey. And maybe you could do at least that well. I don't know if I can or not, but at least I'll give it the old college try. How many of you know what this says? Several of you do. I'm sorry, but I'm not very good in foreign languages. The best I do is in Western Canadian. I can speak that pretty well. But all of you recognize what this is. Will you respond? Will you give me a reply to my request? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. God has a request of us, and we have to make a response. In Matthew 22, we read there of the great invitation, the great wedding invitation, where a man made great preparations to have that I need to remember. Russ didn't do such a good job of it. (laughs) But he's repented, so he has to be forgiven. But I've had, we've had wedding invitations, and I'll have to confess some of them have seemed more important than others. And there have some been, been some that we did not give a whole lot of attention to. Maybe we didn't know the people that well. But in Jewish culture, the wedding was a big, big deal. That was a tremendous event. In Jewish culture, there were three major life events. The birth, wedding, and death. And it probably would not be an exaggeration to say of all of those Weddings were the biggest deal. People went all out for the wedding. People who did not have money went all out for the wedding. They would go into debt to have the wedding feast. And so it was a real slap in the face if someone were to make all the preparations for the wedding, to have all the food, to have all the arrangements made, and then someone just blow it off as nothing. And that's exactly what we see in Matthew 22, where the man made tremendous preparations with food and everything, and then people began to make excuses. Now, there's a difference between a reason and an excuse. And some said, one said, well, I've married a wife. Well, if you haven't figured out by now who she is and what she is, so that you have to skip this, something's wrong with you. Some said, I have some oxen and I've got to go try them out. Again, if you didn't know what you were doing, why did you do that to begin with? Obviously, it was an excuse. And eventually, the master said, go out into the highways and the byways and seek people who would not normally be invited to the wedding feast. Now, as we look at this, there are two applications. Number one, there's the immediate context 
And may I suggest that whenever we study the Bible, whenever we read from God's Word, that we notice, first of all, the immediate context. That means, what did that mean to the people back then? When they were to hear those words, what did that mean to them? Well, immediately they would understand that a great insult had been given. To be invited to a wedding feast was such a tremendous life event that to make some trivial excuse is almost unforgivable. And so the Jews hearing that would immediately relate to it that a great wrong had been done. But now, not only do we make application in the immediate context, we have to consider the remote context, and that is, what does it mean to us? It simply means this, that God from the very beginning has offered an invitation to us. We have transgressed his will. Mankind has sinned. Man has departed from God and left God's will. But God's invitation is such that he invites all of us to come back. That's the great invitation. Unfortunately, life gets in the way of living. Life gets in the way of living for Jesus Christ. Paul told the citizens of Lystra that God had been generous to them. He had given them rain. They had given them food. They had given them enough that if they had stopped to think about it, they would recognize that life itself was a gift. That what they had, where they lived was a gift. Their family was a gift. Unfortunately, man sometimes focuses on what has been given rather than the giver. And that's easy for us to do. We get so busy with the urgent that we don't pay attention to the important. Life goes on. Inconveniences happen. Illness happens. Problems happen. Tragedies happen. But it's very rare that we stop to think that behind our entire life is a God that cares about us and loves us. Unfortunately, there are those that look at life this way. Well, yesterday was okay. Day before yesterday was all right. Last year was all right. I'm all right right now. So where is God? What is God's plan for me? Maybe God has just sort of wound things up and he's letting them wind down as he likes. There's no need for me to worry about God today because everything's all right. It's sort of like the optimist that fell off the office building, 103 stories high. As he passed each floor, he thought to himself, well, so far so good. And unfortunately, that's how it is with life. We get so busy with going to work taking care of the kids, going to school, providing meals, doing this shopping, doing that appointment. We get so busy with life, we forget to live. And to live means to live for Christ, to live as his child. With this always in the back of my mind, of our minds, 
What would Christ want me to do? How would Jesus want me to behave today? Even to that guy that cut me off in traffic. Even to that good friend who did not act as a good friend. Even to that brother or sister who did not act Christ-like. How does that affect me? How does that affect my total outlook on life? It's so easy to get focused on the near things that we become nearsighted and we forget to look at the big picture. God knows each one of us. God cares about us. God is interested in us. God is concerned if we're hurting, if we're happy, if we're content. If we seek Him, God knows. He knows us by name. He even knows our social security numbers. He knows everything about us. We're not a conglomerate church organization. We are individual members of Christ's church. Individual people that God cares about, that God knows and God is interested in. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And God remembers you're being formed in the womb. He knows and remembers when you were born. He knows when you were growing up. He knows the thoughts you had. He knows the temptations that you had. He saw you growing from a child to a young adult. He saw when the temptations began to come in as you were a teenager. And then as life progressed, he sees and knows each one of us, the thoughts and intents of our heart. And he cares. He cares when we're happy. He cares when we're sad. He cares when we're challenged. And he understands when we feel like giving up. And he knows it. And he's concerned about it. And he's interested in each one of us. God is not an angry God hoping to squash us under his thumb. Unfortunately, many religious leaders have taught that, thinking that God was just looking for an opportunity to punish us for some reason or another. That's not God. God loves us and is interested in us and is hoping for us to succeed. That means loving him and obeying his word. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all is naked and open before him. God cares about us, and he knows us. He knows us individually. So that begs the question, why are we here? Are we here out of habit? Not just in the assembly, why are we here, period? To be successful in life, financially? Socially, spiritually, what is our purpose in life except the purpose that God gave us? And that is, we're here for a short time to prepare for eternity. That's our whole purpose in life. God, when he thought about us, knew that we had to have a way to come back to him because he knew that we would fall. And so that is our purpose of life. When all of us, 
when each one of us accepts that as our purpose in life, then we are in alignment with one another. We praise God with one another because we understand that our mission, our responsibility is from God, and that is to prepare for eternity. In order to do that, we must have the healing blood of Jesus Christ. Because of man's fall, without forgiveness, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Why does God require blood for forgiveness of sin? He did it under the law of Moses, and it's still a requirement. It requires blood. And the only perfect sacrifice was the blood of Christ. Why? I don't know. I have no clue. I've never heard anybody be able to explain what why it is about blood that forgives sins. But that's God's plan. That's God's will. Let's talk about blood. Blood donors are a critical part of society. When I was a little bit younger, I worked in the hospital, and I had the opportunity to work in the blood bank, blood chemistry, all the different aspects of of a modern hospital laboratory. But one job I had was to work in the blood donor center. And that's where you stick the person in the arm and you drain them out of their blood. Sort of like an oil change. And maybe not. But it's interesting that blood is more than just blood. There's whole blood, which means all of it. There's packed cells, which means it's just the red blood cells. And then there's the plasma. And doctors, for different reasons and for different difficulties, prescribe different approaches as far as blood is concerned. Most of the blood donors uh, provided what is called whole blood, just as we would normally think, whole blood. It was interesting to me when I worked there that we sometimes would get the word that a person would refuse a blood transfusion. A few years ago, I needed blood, and I had four units of blood given to me. Now, this is not part of the lesson, but I just thought I'd throw it in. My blood type is B positive. So maybe that's why I'm optimistic. I don't know. (laughs) Mine is B, Patsy's is O, and I think our two little boys are little stinkers. I think that that's what happens in the blood type. Okay, you can think about that. But the point is this, is that for many people, blood is life-saving. Life-saving because they got whole blood. Jesus Christ died for us, and he gave his blood to make us whole. And without that saving blood of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. And this is what we remember every first day of the week. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The emblems of which we partake remind us of his flesh that was torn for us and the blood that was shed for us. And we remember this continually. We have been saved by a blood donor. Maybe not physically right now, but spiritually we have been saved by a blood donor. It is beyond me to understand how some people can refuse to accept blood donors 
refuse to accept blood in the physical life and yet in the spiritual that happens all the time. People refuse to accept the life-giving blood from Jesus Christ. Others make a mockery of it, that it means nothing to them. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But God shows his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Unfortunately, there may be a tendency on the part of some people, some religious people, some people in Christ's church to think, well, I wasn't all that bad to begin with. So maybe this blood business applies to people out in the world. We might not say that, but perhaps there might be a tendency to think it. And yet, all it takes is one sin to separate us from God. All it takes is one sin for us to lose our souls. All it takes is one sin that is not acted upon. When we become Christians, our sins are washed away. When we become Christians, we have the life-saving blood of Jesus Christ in us that flows in our veins so that it's not a situation of save, loss, save, loss, save, loss, because I'm saved, uh-oh, I made, I made a mistake, I sinned, now I'm lost. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is I've been saved by the blood of Christ and his spiritual blood flows within us. In 1 John we read that, that his blood cleanses us daily from our sins. And that leaves us then with the invitation of will we accept the donation of blood that was given for us? From the time that Jesus Christ died until now, Jesus has extended his love towards us. He wants us to obey him. He recognizes that we are weak, that we sin, and that we have a sin problem. And we have a problem unless and until we accept the blood of Jesus Christ. Not just by being baptized for the remission of our sins, but walking daily as a Christian, accepting his invitation daily spiritually renewing ourselves through prayer and confession, walking closer and closer with God as we live. Our lives are transformed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but only if we accept that precious blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, there's an invitation that comes to each one of us. Daily, there's an invitation that comes to each one of us. The invitation is urgent. That invitation is personal. That invitation comes from Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ is saying, RSVP, will you respond? Will you make your life right, no matter what is wrong in your life? 
It may be entirely personal that no one has any idea of the struggles that you have, the sin that you have, except ourselves. But Jesus knows. And he knows that his sin, his sacrifice for us and our sin can, can meet together. And his sacrifice outweighs our sin. So that we live a joyous, happy, wonderful spiritual life with him. Not thinking that we can have the grace to do whatever we want to do. <clears throat> that we sin, that grace might abound. But that we walk in the light along with him. And by thus living and thus walking, others are attracted to the light of Christ in our lives. The great invitation is there for each and every one of us every single day, every single hour. And it's up to us to respond to it. Unfortunately, there's a world that says everything is all right and they're going to be surprised. Unfortunately. Because even though there's a beautiful, graceful, loving side of God, there's also a side of God that calls for judgment, that calls for retribution for those who reject God, <clears throat> excuse me, those who postpone trying to, to live the life that God would want them to live, frankly, to those who refuse the great invitation. God holds us accountable. God encourages us. He gives us everything we need for life. But we have to be careful that we don't let life intrude on what is right and spiritual. <clears throat> I remember this from Sunday school when I was a kid, seeing Jesus knocking at the door. Jesus knocks at the door of our hearts every day, every hour, every minute, wanting to come in and be a partner with us in living the wholesome Christian life. Recognizing that, yes, we will fall, yes, we will make mistakes, but we have a new life in Christ. And that new life in Christ brings joy to us as Christians, a joy that can't be explained to others, but a joy in knowing that God cares about us. He created us, and he loves us and forgives us, and he wants us to prepare for eternity. This morning... Christ is knocking for us. Perhaps he's knocked on your heart in the past. The question is, not will he knock, not will he ask to enter, but how long he will knock. Make your life right, whether privately and personally, in your own spiritual time, in your own spiritual prayers, or if you do need to do so, do it publicly. And we offer that invitation. Always stand and sing. <clears throat>